0: All right, so this has been quite a week uh, for us. Uh, It's been quite a week for us as a Jewish community and as a Messianic Jewish community. Why do I say that? Well, obviously. Uh, The uh, last uh, Shabbat morning, uh, here we were uh, having our uh, service. And uh, first, I got a text from my son in Israel uh, at about 10.30 or so, or a quarter of 11.00. Uh, saying, uh, send me a text saying something happened at a, at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, right? And so me, in my way of thinking, I'm thinking, well, let's just see about that, right? Uh, and then uh, Chris handed me a little piece of paper just before uh, the message saying there's been some kind of uh, shooting in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and I went a synagogue in Pittsburgh so, uh, uh, so then what I did is, uh, I don't, it must have been right after the message, um, you know, going to see the news, and, uh, and so uh, lo and behold, there we were, and uh, we prayed uh, at the end of our service, uh, you know, not knowing exactly what was taking place, and then, of course, we all went home and saw the whole thing of what happened. So here we are, uh, you know, uh, living in the United States, the haven for Jewish people, really no greater place in the United States for Jewish people, probably in the history of Jewish people, you know, I mean, outside of Israel, right? And, uh, and of course, I, uh, you know, in one way we're surprised, another way we should not be surprised, uh, because Uh, If you follow the news, you know that over the last number of years, there has been an increase in uh, anti-Jewish attacks in the United States. Hard to believe, but uh, uh, it's an amazing statistic uh, of of the increase. Of course, you know, in years past, just reflecting for a moment, really before my time, I would say, probably, you know, uh, uh, probably before World War II, and then maybe right after World War II. You know, for Jewish people, it's very interesting existence in this country. While uh, I, many uh, occupations uh, were open to Jews, not all, you know, uh, Jewish people uh, uh, could not uh, attend a variety of different universities, uh, could not live in certain neighborhoods. In fact, what is the name of it? Yes, there is a movie that you really ought to watch we watched it at a brotherhood uh, retreat once. It's called *Gentleman's Agreement*. You ever hear that? Anybody ever hear that movie, *Gentleman's Agreement*? Right? I won't explain it now. You'll see it, but it has to do with latent anti-Jewish attitudes in post-World War II United States. Uh, and uh, and you know, you watch that movie and think, "Oh, wow, times have changed." But in a certain respect, certainly they have not. And so. Well, and and then given just uh, the world we live in today, nothing surprises us, right? Not nothing really surprises us any anymore. We're we're hardened to a tragedy, sadly, sadly, uh, and so uh, we're reeling, reeling from that. And then, I, you know, on a, I guess I woke up on Tuesday morning, thinking about this, and thinking about what we're gonna do today, and. And I look at, always look at the news, and the first words I see coming into my eyes are the words Christian Rabbi, okay? And I'm thinking, oh no, what has happened? And I, I'll, I'll be quite transparent. I thought Jonathan Cahn. I you know, had uh, given some big prayer, and this is the end of the world or something, you know what I mean? I, I thought maybe that, that's what was happening, you know? But then I read on and I uh, got the picture of exactly what took place. And so you, the reason I bring it up is, one, you may just be wondering about that. Who is that guy? And, and what, what was that all about? And, and, and everything. So I'll just tell you that uh, I know uh, the, uh, the, the person involved there. I know Lauren Jacobs. known him for 40 years. I, I knew him when I lived in Chicago in the late 1970s. I, I knew him. Uh, and uh, he uh, is uh, not part of uh, any of the, you know, he's not part of the UMJC, he's not part of the Messianic Jewish Alliance, sort of does his own thing up there in Detroit. Uh, And he was asked, unbelievably, by a Jewish uh, congresswoman to give the invocation at a rally that the vice president was at. And her thinking was that this was uh, a show of inclusiveness you know, I'm a believer, and I'm, great, I think, okay, great, but it defies uh, you know, logic, I guess, in any way to think that this would be well-received. You know, so, so that was what that, so he prayed, and there you go, and you see the backlash. But the, re- the real reason I bring it up is because in that moment of seeing uh, these words, Christian rabbis, and reading uh, what I read there about that, on top of the great tragedy, it was almost like my entire life as a believer was encapsulated at that moment. You know, because here we are, uh, part of the Jewish community, you know, grieving in, in, as as a as a Jew. You know, uh, uh, for my people, right? And then, of course, seeing the backlash of you are not welcome uh, uh, in this community. When you read, oh my goodness, all of the, all of the Twitter responses and Facebook responses uh, of, of the Jewish community. And it kind of just encapsulates what it means to be part of the Messianic Jewish movement. Right there. That uh, 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 we are part of the Jewish community, yet not well-received in the Jewish community. Now, doesn't that remind you of someone, right? That should remind you of Yeshua, of the Messiah, who wept over Jerusalem and then was crucified. And so uh, what a uh, moment uh, that was to, you know, to see all that and, and think about that. And I will just say at the outset here, just have some thoughts really today, uh, that um, uh, I think it was an eye opener. I hope I it I hope it was an eye opener for every single person who's here. I hope that was an eye opener for every person that comes to Beth Messiah Congregation, because I, uh, my f- not fear, but I think that some of us may think that because you know uh, here we are a Messianic Jewish congregation. Uh, no matter who we are, we're certainly we're welcome. We're we're we engage and do Jewish customs and and Jewish traditions and and the like, you know, and and all of it. Uh, and then we hear words of inclusiveness uh, from the greater Jewish community, and we think, yeah, okay, you know, boy, times have changed. We are in like Flint. Hey, this will be great. I hope this was an eye opener that coming to Beth Messiah is uh, coming to a Messianic congregation, not just Beth Messiah, but coming to a Messianic congregation is no small order, is no small task. We are on the margins of everybody. We are on the margins of the Jewish world, and we're on the margins of uh, the Christian world. And that's exactly where we're supposed to be, just like the Messiah. And I hope that we, I hope that we weep over Jerusalem, or Pittsburgh. I hope that we identify and, and weep over our people, because we're part of, regardless of who you are, regardless of that, being part of a Messianic Jewish congregation means you are part of the Jewish community. We define ourselves. We know uh, who we are, and we love our people, regardless of uh, the, uh, an attitude uh, toward uh, you know Messianic Judaism, just like Yeshua, uh, and uh, and so we we need to uh, just be sure of that uh, because sometimes uh, if we're too much focused on the lack of inclu- the lack of acceptance, we can begin to view uh, our people as them uh, and not us. You know. Uh, I, but then, on the other hand, if we uh, are uh, enamored uh, so much by the community and put Yeshua on the uh, back burner, uh, then uh, we're not really uh, living uh, according to who we really are. So we live in these uh, margins. And that, uh, I will suggest, ultimately is what makes us relevant. what's not irrelevant but actually what makes us relevant to our world and our community, because then we can speak into our Jewish world, and we can speak into the Christian world when we live on the margins. When we have a, uh, a, you know an, an event like this, a, a tragedy like this, uh, on one hand, uh, one thing that we desire to do Uh, Is to uh, we say God, well, how could something like this happen? You know, so first my first uh, My first edition of the message for today was all about why this happened then I said that's not That's not where we want to go You know, we'll we'll talk we're talking a little bit about that, but what we really uh, Want to uh, understand is what our response should be. How do we respond to this? But first, let us let us indeed remember that uh, according to the scriptures, and very interestingly, at the scriptures at the beginning of, of the of the Tanakh anyway, at the beginning and the end, there's a statement uh, about uh, about Israel that that is uh, very much um, relevant. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, you read in verse ten about. God finding Israel, which really speaks of his care, of his love, is his devotion, you might say, to Israel. It says, He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. The pupil of his eye. I mean, that is great poetry. You know, speaking of... Uh, how the, the love of God for Israel as, as like a body part. It's interesting. And of course, the, uh, the pupil of his eye, you know, something very personal, something you, you, you don't touch. Then at the other end, in Zechariah chapter 2, and it's very interesting that they're at the opposite ends. It almost makes them like a, uh, it's like an, uh, well, it, it's like bookends. You have the entire, you have the Torah all the way to the to the post Babylonian captivity, and from one end to the other, Israel has this uh, very unique role. You know, in we could call it the life of God, in uh, Zechariah uh, chapter uh, two, in verse uh, eight. For thus says the Lord of hosts: After glory, He has sent me against the nations. Which plunder you? For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, touches the pupil of his eye. And as I wrote in the derash this week, if you had a chance to read it, coming against Israel, the Jewish people, is like poking God in the eye. And so there is this unique, this unique relationship of God and Israel. We know it's a, called a covenant relationship, but it's a very personal. Relationship and and we're not talking about the uh, we're not talking about the eternal destiny of individuals, but we're talking about the people as a whole and their calling in this world in relationship to God. We read in uh, Exodus chapter uh, nineteen about this calling, about this unique relationship. It Says in verse five: Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples. Of all, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Uh, and so uh, a, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, uh, a, a kingdom of mediators. Israel is called to in, to, in a sense, be a mediator of God for this world. God has given to Israel his word, uh, which reflects his character, and God called out Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and and all all his wives and and, and his sons uh, and their descendants uh, to uh, indeed uh, uh, bring to the world the knowledge of the God of Israel. And in fact, Isaiah even uses the terminology, I won't turn to it, in chapter 43 and 44 and 45 and elsewhere, uh, servant of the Lord. Israel is called the servant of the Lord, the people themselves. And and so this is a unique uh, uh, calling. Israel, the Jewish people, stand out among, uh, among the nations. And that's important to say, and I know that you know that in uh, you can read varieties of scriptures uh, uh, to to recognize uh, that, uh, 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 just even in this week's Torah portion, right? And, and, and in in and the calling out of Abraham and and uh, and and so on. But this standing out among the nations, this uh, being a kingdom called to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, Seeing Israel being the apple of uh, God's eye at one end and the pupil of his eye in the other, sort of encapsulating the entire Tanakh, you know, uh, tells us, helps us, informs us that Jewish suffering is meaningful. Jewish suffering is meaningful. Now, let me pause and just interject. I recognize uh, all suffering is meaningful. And Christian suffering is meaningful. Uh, but uh, in the context of today, uh, last Shabbat, it was 11 Jewish people. We can make whatever applications we want, and that's good. It's a good thing. But uh, uh, this uh, is about Jewish suffering. Those 11 people, what did they do? You know, they're the regulars. If you grew up, in synagogue life, not just growing up Jewish, but in synagogue life, you knew these people, right? You knew these people. Uh, uh, when I look at these uh, faces and their names, of course, I don't know them, but I knew people just like them growing up, uh, you know? And uh, and so I, uh, when we're talking about this kind of suffering uh, in this context, we want to recognize that. Uh, just your regular Jewish folks, you know, uh, are part of this uh, covenant. Are part of this uh, uh, this calling. Not just uh, the rabbis in town, or Jewish writers and scholars, or no, but just Jewish folks uh, that uh, that you might know are part of this uh, calling. Uh, And therefore, uh, when there is this kind of Jewish suffering uh, just among regular people, it really brings home this idea, this concept that the calling of uh, Israel, of the Jewish people, uh, is about all of those people. Yes, we want them to know the Messiah and, and all of that. It goes without saying, right? Well, I have to say it or else you might wonder, right? So it goes with saying. (laughs) <laughs> OK, uh, that certainly we want our people to know the Messiah. But on the other hand, there's this uniqueness about the about Jewish people. The fact that Jewish people uh, exist today and are not an extinct people. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen too many Hittites running around these days. Right. Or Perizzites or, uh, you know, all those people. Uh, but there are Israelites Self-identified, and identified uh, by others. That in and of itself is a miracle. Uh, the fact that uh, through uh, all of uh, uh, the exile history, uh, uh, that when I say the exile history, I mean the, from 70 to, ne- to now, basically. Right? From uh, 70 AD to now. Right? At the hands of, uh, sadly, at the hands of Christians. And also of Muslims, but sadly, mostly, mostly of Christians, uh, Jewish people have suffered immensely, but have lived through it as a people, lived through it as a people, to uh, this very day. And certainly, in this week's Torah portion, isn't it uh, amazing that it's about we see two deaths and two funerals uh, in this uh, Torah portion, right? But then we also see the next generation finding a wife. And then next week they start a family. And so it just goes to show you the faithfulness of God uh, in, uh, you know, in all of this. And, and wasn't it poignant that last Shabbat there was a bris right there at, the, at that uh, synagogue. A uh, tree of life synagogue and, and the two other synagogues. There was a bris. New life. And the very same morning that these people are, are killed. It's very poignant that, that you see the life of Israel, door to door, from generation to generation. That is about the faithfulness of God. I wanted to read a, uh, a little bit from a, uh, a book here that uh, describes uh, the calling of Israel as um, uh, representing the revelation of God in this world. It's a Christian writer, Thomas Torrance, his name is. And he talks about this uh, concept of Israel being a physical representation of the revelation of, of God. So he says this, In the Hebrew idiom, revelation implies not only the uncovering of God, but the uncovering of the ear and heart of man to receive revelation. Thus, the mediation of divine revelation through Israel has the effect not only of disclosing something of the nature of God, But of of disclosing the nature, the natural offense to God deeply embedded in the human heart. Now, if this is the case, as we find in God's dealings with Israel, that the more deeply revelation pierces into the roots of human beings, the more it intensifies the enmity of the human heart against God. Then the destined function of Israel in bearing and mediating. Divine revelation for mankind cannot but have the effect upon us of rousing and bringing to the surface our own enmity against God. In other words, where there is enmity against God, it plays out in the physical covenant people, Israel. And so when we, uh, when we think about, when you just read the Bible, uh, about what happens to Israel, it's all because... Of being in this covenant relationship with God and manifesting, one might say, uh, the, this uh, you know the enmity that uh, people have for, for God. So it should not surprise us. And he goes on to say that he goes on to say this is where anti he writes here anti-Semitism or anti-Jewishness comes from. Uh, and so uh, he calls it uh, there. We have I believe. The root of anti-Semitism, he says, wherever and whenever anti-Semitism arises, it is a clear sign that people are engaged in conflict with God, and with the same kind of conflict that left its mark upon Israel, and and uh, and that is indeed true. We don't often think of that. That part of the calling of Israel is suffering. Now, of course. The suffering and the meaning of suffering finds its pinnacle, not the end of it, but its pinnacle in Yeshua. He is the uh, the quintessential Jew, the quintessential uh, a member of the covenant people, and uh, his death epitomized the uh, enmity between people and God. And so, it is no coincidence that uh, Yeshua was Jewish, unlike, as I might have shared once before, someone who once said to me, it was just a coincidence. He happened to be Jewish. It was irrelevant. You know? Not quite the case, right? And, And so Israel is called to be the suffering servant. Yeshua is the suffering servant. By the way, in the very same way that in Isaiah chapter 5, Israel is the vineyard. But in John we read that Yeshua is the vine who basically revives the vineyard. Israel is the servant. Yeshua is the servant who revives the servant of Israel. And so as the remnant of Israel, uh, we're called to suffer right alongside all of our people. In fact, as, as uh, believers, it's kind of a double whammy, right? We're called uh, to this life as, uh, as Jews, But then it intensifies uh, when we become Messianic Jews, when we uh, become believers. Uh, And and so it's interesting that uh, Jonathan Sachs, another great writer, uh, wrote a book before uh, everybody heard of him. Uh, And it was called Radical Then, Radical Now. Uh, And it's it's called Radical Then, Radical Now, On Being Jewish. And then he wrote sort of a... um, uh, another version of it, in a book called A Letter in the Scroll. Uh, it's a, it says, Understanding Our Jewish Identity and Exploring the Legacy of the World's Oldest Religion, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. What he basically uh, uh, talks about here, I won't take the time, it's a great uh, little uh, read. He first talks about the challenge of today of uh, of uh, being Jewish and that uh, you know, and you, you, you don't choose to be, I mean, people who convert to Judaism, you know, choose to be Jewish, but Jewish people don't choose to be Jewish. You're in this covenant relationship, you're called to live out this way of life, uh, I, and a decision was made long before any of us was born that this was the life that we're called to live. It's not like we're born and then we decide, okay, do you want to accept this mantle, do you want to accept this calling or, or not, right? Uh, it just is uh and uh and and so he writes that you know, up until recent times, there was a given, but now, given the world that we live in, that uh Jewish people choose, kind of, you know, am I going to be Jewish or not, or in my life or in my lifestyle? Am I going to be Jewish uh, or not? And so he talks about the radical calling of Jewish people. and the reason that uh, uh, this updated version is called a letter in the scroll. Is that he writes that Jewish life, being Jewish, is like being—it's uh, like being a letter in the alphabet, right? But a letter by itself doesn't really do anything. A letter needs other letters, right, to form words, and more letters to form sentences, and more letters to form paragraphs, right? And, and so uh, he refers to this as a letter in the scroll, the scroll of the Torah, that the Torah, yes, is the, it is the, the word of God, but in a way, uh, the Jewish people from generation to generation is like a Torah scroll, and everybody in it is a letter in the scroll. And we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to be a letter in the scroll, you know, uh, uh, because that is the calling upon our lives. Uh, to live out this Jewish life, uh, regardless of in, of what takes uh, of what takes place. Uh, in another place, uh, there's an interesting midrash about the calling of uh, Abraham uh, to leave his uh, country and his family and everything. Uh, and there's a midrash that uh, Abraham uh, leaves. And he enters into a city, and he sees that there's a palace, and the palace is on fire. Uh, and he asks, uh, "Is there an? O- I see there's a palace on fire. There must be an owner of the palace. Is there an owner of the palace?" And he hears a voice that says, "I am the owner of the palace." Uh, and so then he says, "Well, uh, uh, what? Uh, what are you going to? What are you going to do about the burning palace?" <laughs> and and then he doesn't hear anything. And so this is an interesting midrash. It just ends. You know, there's no answer. He says, what are you going to do? There's, it ends. There's no answer given. So like many of a midrash, you could spend days, uh, you know, interpreting it. What does it mean? Uh, so some have said that it means that, uh, uh, that the fire is actually light and that God is light. And so there is no fire. There's no fire. Okay. The other one is, is that there is a fire and the owner doesn't care, uh, and, and so, uh, therefore, it just is. It's just fate, right? And, uh, and, and so he says uh, here in, in uh, sex, in talking about this Midrash, so it means that either you have a view that there is no God, I mean, there, there's, there's no owner of the palace, there's no owner of the palace and everything falls apart, or there is an owner, uh, but there is no fire, okay? So there's an owner of the palace, but there's no fire, or there's no, no, no owner of the palace, uh, and everything burns down. So he says, you're either, then you either don't believe in God, or you don't, believe, you don't really believe that, uh, that, there, that there is God, but then there can't be evil. So he says, but, but, it, but really what it means is something else. This is what, what he says. He says, it's the call of Abraham. The call of Abraham is that God was waiting for Abraham to come because the calling of Abraham and his descendants is to put out the fire. The fire is all of the horrible things that take place in the world, all of the evil in the world, and that God was waiting for Abraham to come to put out the fire because in the plan of God, that's how God works. And uh, and so we would say we just take that one step further, right? And say, yes, that is indeed the calling of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all leading up to the coming of the Messiah. But after the Messiah came, we're still the Messianic people. Still the covenant people in unbelief, whatever it may be, but all who embrace the Messiah, all who come under the kingship of the God of Israel now take on this mantle, no matter who you are, take on this mantle of living in the margins. Now, sadly, for many people who are believers, that never even enters their minds, (laughs) right? But we're reminded of it all the time. We're reminded of it all the time. That's why this is where we're called to be. So if this is the calling and, and suffering is part of it, and remember what we said, we're talking about Joseph, you know, in, um, uh, in our regular uh, uh, sermons about how Joseph epitomizes, one might say, the, uh, uh, the suffering of Israel, uh, and certainly as a Messiah followers, right? Joseph is the quintessential Messianic Jew, hated by his brothers, right? Uh, and, and sold off into, into Egypt, uh, but for a much higher purpose, right? It wasn't about Joseph, but it was for a greater and higher purpose. Uh, and that was bringing the family uh, to Egypt uh, to, uh, to be able to, uh, to sustain and to live. And so the sufferings of Israel today are horrible and grievous, and we mourn. Of course we mourn. Yeshua wept over Jerusalem, you know? Israel, the Jewish people, are not just some theological construct, right? Uh, You know, a vehicle to get to the return of the Lord or something. But, But real people, Yeshua wept over them. We weep also, but we must recognize that the suffering of our people, even this terrible event of last Shabbat, has a greater meaning and purpose, part of, of, a, of a greater meaning and purpose. Do we understand all of it? No, we don't understand all of it. But one thing that we do know is that the Lord has a heart, a sensitive heart to this. You know, uh, a verse that comes to mind at, at a time like this is Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63. Yes, Isaiah 53, but Isaiah 63. In verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them uh, all the days of old. Speaking of God's uh, love for our uh, people, right? Uh, That God suffers when something indeed like this uh, happens. And so the question then is, so how do we respond? What do we do? Well, we grieve the loss of our people, right? We, we, we support uh, the Jewish community, uh, recognizing the calling on Israel in this world and recognizing that we're part of that community. And then as a Messianic Jewish community, it is vital that, that it is vital that we exist. It is vital that... That uh, we represent the remnant of Israel, that we represent the hope of Israel, just like Yeshua, rejected by the community, misunderstood uh, by the community. But at the very same time, we minister to the uh, community and we bring Yeshua to the uh, community and we serve as hands and feet of Yeshua in the community and in the greater community as well, right? Not only to the Jewish community, but fulfilling that that calling of being a light to the nations, to the greater community as well, uh, regardless of uh, uh, attitudes uh, that may uh, come toward us uh, or anything like that, right? And so what else do we do? Well, you know, if you go back to Psalm 90, Uh, that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You know, may we find refuge in praying. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be and be sorry or have compassion for your servants? O, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad, according to the days you have afflicted us, and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and let majesty and and, let your, and your majesty to their children, and let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and do confirm uh, for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. and so uh, what Moses here is uh, uh, praying. Lord, in light of this calling, in light of the difficulty, in light of being the covenant people and then facing not only the retribution of the nations, but also discipline from you because of this calling that we have, Lord, teach us to make every day count. Teach us, Lord, not to live in the past and, and, uh, and uh, not to live, as it were, in the future because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But, uh, but let us live for today. Let us serve today. Let us learn today. Let us grow uh, uh, today. Uh, and, uh, and certainly uh, praying for the Lord uh, to, uh, to return, right? No, no doubt. But also uh, praying that God would send, uh, you know, blessing and, and fruit uh, uh, upon us. And of course, you know, in Messiah Yeshua... We are no strangers uh, to being strangers in this world. We usually think of it uh, in terms of the. Uh, we think of it in terms of being believers, but today we think of it in terms of being part of the Jewish community. See, and so you know, a passage that I love uh, to read when uh, things get tough is. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's just quite interesting how this applies to us as Messiah followers, but also indeed as part of the community. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the dying of Yeshua, that the life of Messiah, the life of Yeshua, may be manifest in our body. And so for us, may we grieve, but yet may we, uh, may we mourn. I mean, may we mourn and grieve, but may we indeed have hope. May we recognize that in this life we are aliens and sojourners, but that our hope is in indeed Messiah Yeshua. Like our ancestors in the wilderness, God provides for us, but it's not an easy existence. But let us not be deterred. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and discipline. And so we have this great calling in our lives, and this is a day for that. This is a day, we live in a day where we can really demonstrate Unity with the Jewish community, but the great hope that we have in the Messiah. And, you know, just in closing, let me read these words. I will extol thee, O, o Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you did heal me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes uh, in the morning. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so here we see the great hope that we have, even in a time of grief and mourning. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, yes, we live in two worlds. Well, we kind of live in four worlds, Lord. We live in the world of the Jewish world, We live in the world of Messiah followers, of believers in in Yeshua. We live in the sinful world, uh, you know, uh, of this life. Yet we live in the future world of knowing you. We live in many places, Lord. We wear many hats. Lord, may we really recognize and know that uh, uh, we live in, a portion at least, of Israel's future today. Let that be true among us. Yes, we don't deny the uh, reality of suffering at all. But yet at the same time, we rejoice in the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I do pray that we would demonstrate chesed verachamim v'mishpat, loving kindness and mercy and justice in our world, Lord God, we pray, O oh Lord, that we would indeed be a light in our community and in this darkened world. We do pray. We do grieve. We do mourn. We do hope. We pray in the signs that.